So this is my experience of travelling with COVID-19, not literally travelling with it, with the disease. Um, I have not had the virus, but literally with it hanging around us and how it's affecting travellers and people, um, you know, working and, and going on holiday. So first of all, some facts then. So obviously it's spread around the world since it started in China um, back in kind of January time. Um, believed to be from a wet market in Wuhan that was selling uh, dead and alive animals, including bats. Um, so to date, like I say, when I recorded this, there's around about 88,000 deaths globally from the coronavirus and over 7,000 of those deaths are from the UK, which is very, very soul destroying. And the symptoms, as we know, fever, dry cough, it spreads via droplets through coughing or sneezing. And uh, obviously since then, there are some other uh, symptoms we can get as well, but mainly it is a fever and dry cough. So my story then, travelling, so people might say, what on earth were you doing travelling during this time? Well, to cut a long story short, this was booked some time ago. So my auntie and uncle emigrated out to Australia, to Perth, about 30 years ago. And last year, probably about a year ago, unfortunately my husband, my um, my uncle passed away due to cancer. So my auntie came over here at the end of the summer for three months and she went back in February this year. So she's got no children and my sister and I said, look, should we go back with her, spend a couple of weeks with her? It's the first time back on her own from the UK since her husband died. It'd be nice to maybe just check that she's OK and we could have a bit of a holiday as well. My sister had also been through a difficult time in a recent divorce. So I thought it'd be nice for her and nice for my auntie. So I was kind of being a little selfless, really. I had an 11 year old at home, my husband, my son's 16, fairly self-sufficient, she's 17 this year and my dog, and they're all okay. So we discussed it um, in, in great detail and decided, yeah, we could go back and go away for two weeks. Two weeks is nothing, is it? But when you've got the coronavirus hanging over you, it's a little bit different. So we went away on the 12th of March, and at that time it was safe to travel. The plane was full. It was packed with holidaymakers. Different stories to tell. We had a couple in front of us who were travelling around Perth. We had some backpackers behind us. And we had a gentleman sat next to me. He was going to his son's wedding in, in India. So we were, were travelling with Emirates and we we're going via Dubai. It was all hunky-dory, all fine, all going to plan. The, airport, the airports were a little bit quiet, to be fair, but, uh, you know, shops were still open, cafes were still open, and we still took pictures and messed about. You know, we were on a, on a holiday of a lifetime. We have spent many a time in Australia, the whole family really, because obviously my auntie emigrated out there. So I've worked there, I've lived there, I've travelled around there. And my sister spent a lot of time there as well. So we knew that two weeks wasn't a long time. It normally takes you that long to get over the journey. But we thought, you know, we've done it before. We, we can squeeze a lot into that two weeks. And we did have a lot of things planned. So we arrived on Friday the 13th of March. We should have known then, shouldn't we? And uh, it took us a few days to get over the trip. And then I would say it was probably around about March the 17th where the Foreign Office advised to avoid non-essential travel. Bit too late for us because we were already a few days into our holiday. So round about March the 19th, we were actually in a place called Margaret River, which is home of the vineyards, which was south of Perth. Um, bit of a fun fact here. I'll just introduce this fun fact. So in the UK, when we head north, it generally gets colder, doesn't it? And in the south, it gets warmer. 
But as Australia is in the southern hemisphere, everything's kind of opposite. So it's quite weird when we're heading south and we're expecting it to get a little bit colder. Oh, and also the water really does flow the opposite way down the plug hole. Anyway, back to the uh, back to the podcast. So whilst we're in Margaret River, uh, we were listening to the news, which unfortunately was unavoidable as all, all the programmes were, were replaced by this coronavirus. But it was clear that things were getting considerably worse. So even by then, airlines were cancelling flights, planes were grounded and airports were, airports were closing and connecting hubs, connecting hubs like Singapore and Hong Kong were closed and Australia was pretty much starting their lockdown. So the panic did start to set in, to be fair. Um, we hadn't even been away a week, but it was clear that any form of holiday was over for us because the government advice was to avoid all essential travel all essential travel and to return home as soon as possible. So this was whilst we were in Margaret River, which was two to three hours away. So we were kind of starting to get a little bit concerned. So while we were in Margaret River, we contacted Emirates with who we'd flying out, flown out with to try and change our flights and bring them forward. But this simple task wasn't easy. As obviously thousands of other people were also trying to do the same and trying to get home to their families. We waited hours and hours um, before we could even get through. And, and we, we got cut off after about an hour, so we'd have to start the whole process again. Uh, we also were trying to use our phones to get online to make the changes, but for some reason this was all also proving very difficult. So everything seemed to be against us. Finally, I managed to change my flight to return home a few days early. However, the changes cost me an extra £600, thanks very much. So add this to my existing ticket, which cost £800, I was now out of pocket £1,400. Even though airlines were stating that because we were told to go home, they wouldn't charge for any changes at this time. But of course, Emirates did. Thank you very much, Emirates. I was still very anxious that my flight would get cancelled and listening to the daily updates, it was still very much a threat. Um, abiding by the lockdown restrictions and the worry of our loved ones back home was taking its toll. My husband, although very capable, had the children at home as schools were closed. So he was looking after not only the children to make sure they were getting their work done, but two sets of grandparents and trying to run a business at the same time. So I really did need to get home. In fact, I was really worried that this was not going to happen as quickly as I wanted it to. So we did our time in Margaret River, which was very eerie. It was very, very quiet, hardly anybody around. So we got back to Mandurah, which is where we were staying. And two days before my flight was due to depart, we had calls from the UK late at night. They came flooding in from family because they'd heard that Emirates had announced they too were grounding their planes and the, and the hub Dubai was also going to be closing imminently. So this came as a blow and only added to my already fueled anxiety. Again, hours passed as we waited to get through to Emirates. This was late at night because luckily they were open 24-7 where they needed to be. Um, because they hadn't contacted us or informed us that our flights were cancelled or that my early flight was cancelled. So we finally got through and eventually they booked us onto flights for the 2nd of April. But then they were cancelled pretty much while we were talking to them on the phone. So they rescheduled to the 1st of May which was five weeks away but there was still no guarantee that those flights were going ahead. And these were the words of the operator. There was no guarantee, but that was the next flight they could book us on. By now, I was overwhelmed with paranoia and fear that I might not get home to my family. 
I was in tears. I couldn't eat or sleep and trying to be my usual jolly self when speaking with my 11-year-old daughter back in the UK was really, really difficult. I felt sick and the separation anxiety was eating away at my stomach. By now, the whole world had caught up with reports of countries closing their borders, travellers being stranded with limited seats on planes and they were charging extraordinary prices. We were also advised to register with the British Consulate and Embassy, leaving our passport numbers and state of our health, and we were updated daily as to how they were trying to help us and other passengers and travellers get home. Um, they were working closely with Qatar Airways and Malaysian Airlines, but it was still up to us as, the, as individuals to book these flights kind of on a first-come, first-served basis. I mean, they were extremely expensive too, but even these flights were still getting cancelled, so we didn't know what to trust, we didn't know what to do. Travel companies were certainly taking advantage of our vulnerability and still taking money for flights that were not even going to take off. It was hopeless and out of our control. At one point, I got through to an emergency consulate representative in London, so I'd called them from Australia, got through to London. And who were, they were very, very polite, but were really sorry, as they couldn't help or give us any proper advice and they didn't have answers. I felt sorry for them but I thought well if they couldn't help us who could? They did however tell me tales of flights that had already taken off and couldn't land at the hubs because they were closed so they were stranded mid-air with nowhere to go and there'd also been passengers from Australian airports and other global airports where they'd boarded the flights, the doors had closed, they started pushing back but even those airport air so even those flights were cancelled and they had to go back on stand. But those passengers had nowhere to go either. This was all fueling my anxiety. I was physically and mentally feeling the strain. In desperation, I remembered a good friend of mine worked on the Dreamliner for Qantas. I hadn't thought about it before. Um, but it was a, a, a friend of the family that said, why don't you try the Dreamliner? So I contacted her as getting through to Qantas Direct was proving really difficult with a four-hour waiting time, and for some reason I was having difficulty with the network and my phone. Luckily, my amazing friend managed to get me on the very last flight out of Perth on Friday the 27th of March, and after that, Qantas were grounding planes until at least the 1st of June, and there was only about seven business class, uh, business class seats available at a grand price of £6,200. I had no choice, I had to get home, so add this to my existing bill of £1,400, the grand total of my expense was now £7,600. But there was still no guarantee that Perth and Heathrow would remain open, so now my anxiety had escalated at not only the same threat of not getting home, but now the added worry of the cost involved. How would I ever pay it back? It will take me years. Now I know there were people far, far worse off than we we were because um, they were stuck in hostels in tiny rooms, only allowed out for essentials for an hour a day and the same for travellers in hotels. At least we were staying in my auntie's apartment with a veranda overlooking the estuary of beautiful water. There were kangaroos within touching distance to our right and beautiful parrots and pelicans to our left so one couldn't complain. However, it wasn't really appreciated as much as it should have been under the circumstances. So I was counting down the minutes until I was literally on the plane, knowing that things could change at any moment, but luckily all went well. I was in business class, 
something I would never afford to do and it was absolutely amazing. The flight was 16 hours 50 direct from Perth to Heathrow, Heathrow and I think I cried most of the way with relief and all that anxiety. You could probably see the steam coming out of my body. Yep, I cried most of the way. The crew were amazing, turning my bed and offering pyjamas with an endless supply of champagne. They were really, really supportive. I have to say it was the best flight I've ever had. And I have to say I would thoroughly recommend business class with Qantas. And I'm not sure if I can ever fly cattle class again. A funny story to end this podcast, though, is when I finally arrived at Heathrow, I saw my hubby in the distance in arrivals who had travelled three hours to collect me. And as I ran towards him, just like the movies, tears streamed down my face. This chap backed away. It wasn't him. Who is this mad woman, he must have thought. So anyway, he did get there eventually and there was floods of tears and it was a lovely reunion. Another final thing was my sister was flying home a little bit later on a British Airways flight uh, with a further threat still of them grounding their flights but luckily they chartered their flights to Qatar Airways who were flying via Doha which is one of the only hubs still open so she arrived five days later after me. However this economy seat one way still cost her £4,286 so add this to her original Emirates seat the same as mine £800. She also spent a grand total of £5,086. So together, so between us, our joint flights for that trip cost almost £13,000. Now that's just our tale, but there are still thousands of people still stranded with no money and they're left stranded as their flights have been cancelled. Several flights have been cancelled, not just in Australia, but all around the globe. And my heart goes out to them. There's pensioners separated from their loved ones, parents away from their children, and backpackers with no money or credit card to assist getting them home. Never mind the medical um, issues where people have run out of prescriptions and they can't get them. It's a devastating situation. Airlines, though, were still taking bookings for flights that didn't exist. So the situation is now that travellers are too scared to book in case further flights are cancelled, so they remain stranded for the foreseeable. I was lucky thanks to my fabulous friend, and I cannot tell you the relief now that I am home. So lockdown for me is a small price to pay, considering the physical and mental effects it had on me, which thankfully have now lifted. But my question to the airlines is this. Why? Why was it really necessary to charge these silly prices? Do you not realise the implications you've caused to thousands of families? Aren't we supposed to be in this together? I hope that when this all blows over, whenever that might be, that someone, the CEO of these companies or similar, might be brought to question and maybe compensate the thousands of people who have been ripped off and taken advantage of. So, thanks for listening, but for now, stay home, stay safe.